Um, we will move on to the next game now, which is the other qualifying final, and this was on Saturday afternoon slash evening, and it was between Geelong and Collingwood. And Dan, you were at this game, weren't you? Yes, I got along to this game with a couple of, well, one of my mates, Burton, goes for Geelong, and Watson came along too. He was licking his wounds about uh, that post call. He's a Richmond supporter. Uh. <laughs> so there were messages flying all the, all the previous day in the in the chat about how that was a very contentious call. So, <laughs> so you had uh, you had two uh, non fans of that game who were there, sort of uh, grieving yeah. the past two days' results. <laughs> but it, but it was uh, it was against Collingwood, so you know you're never really going to go for Collingwood. So no, of course we, not. we were Geelong. <laughs> we were pro Geelong for the night. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so huge game at the G. Um, uh, all the way up to the back, the rows were filled with people, barely mm. a seat free in the house, and uh, it was a sellout as well. So I think it was just under 92 or maybe just under 93 wow, who got in crazy. there. So it was a huge crowd and uh, plenty of Collingwood supporters, obviously, but there's quite a few Geelong as well in there. So obviously Geelong had finished on top of the ladder. Collingwood had uh, scraped into the four with a very low percentage, but uh, deserving uh, nonetheless, yep. so obviously Geelong had that uh, problematic uh, record in qualifying finals to overcome. I think one of their last nine, something along those lines, and uh, trying to set up the final series with a win to demonstrate that you know their winning streak uh, wasn't just uh, lack of playing the top eight teams. So what happened? Well, it was a shell shock. Geelong early, Collingwood were all over them. They started like an absolute house on fire, spreading and uh, making the Cats look slow. They were winning the majority of the clearances and they had three goals on the board before Geelong knew what hit them. Uh, And it was only a Jeremy Cameron snap late in the quarter that got Geelong on the board. And, uh, you know, all their low scores in these finals, the Cats fans would have been feeling pretty average at the start of this game, Johnny. Yeah, wow. Collingwood just came out with Best pressure, uh, yeah, they were right in this contest. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't think Geelong would have had a quarter like that all season, with uh, just because it was just the one goal at quarter time. Or yeah, I think yeah. it was one three maybe, or maybe one four something along those lines. Collingwood were also a little inaccurate, three five. Most of their shots were quite tricky, but if they could have put maybe at least one more on the board. That would have made things a little trickier for Geelong here. So they really did jump them, but maybe didn't get full value out of their dominance in this first quarter. Yeah, not quite enough reward for effort. Yeah, so in this first quarter, Geelong were looking a little bit jittery and uh, struggling to move the ball with any fluency. And uh, yeah, something really needed to change. So in the second quarter... Uh, the Geelong fans would have been happy to see that they were able to stabilise. They were managing to slow the Pies down, who uh, were finding a lot of space in that first quarter, and they started to win a bit more of the ball through the midfield as well. And uh, it was a pretty dominant quarter for Geelong in the end, three goals to one, and that one goal came right basically on the siren to Hoskin Elliott. And... uh, what was really obvious in this game was it was just really difficult for either team to find much space, highly contested. As soon as you grab the ball, you're getting mauled from all sides. It's just a classic. Like, if you could picture in your mind, Johnny, what you think a final of AFL football should be like, this is almost the epitome of what you would picture, at least oh, yeah. for me. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's jump to the third quarter. So at this point, uh, I don't have the uh, score, but I think Collingwood's up by seven or eight points, something along those lines anyway. Seven, yeah. Third quarter. So uh, this is where the game did start to open up a little bit. First half was a little low scoring. So we had uh, Ash Johnson and Jeremy Cameron trading set shot goals uh, from a long way out on the wrong side. Both great shots. Yeah, they were fantastic goals. And... uh, Elliot, who'd been a little bit inaccurate, did actually manage to nail one from pretty far out as well. And Collingwood had a seven-point lead. And they just seemed to have the answer for Geelong. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, two goals one way, one goal the other, and all this sort of stuff. But Collingwood did seem to have the answers. And uh, they were still continuing to find uh, guys out on the lead or just in a bit of space on their fast plays inside 50. And they're looking every very dangerous every time the ball went in there. Uh and it did seem to be finding these opportunities a little bit more frequently than Geelong. Uh, one, I can't remember whether this is in the third or fourth quarter. I don't have that in my notes here. But uh, one of the plays that really stuck out to me was uh, Collingwood had just won the ball back in their back line. And it was uh, Moore who was switching the ball out uh, with a really long kick to actually on the members' wing. And uh, they got it on long again. And almost all the players were still on the other side of the field. And they didn't win it at half forward, but what they did do was, you know, just manage to sort of halve the contest and it was in space. So if they could win that contest, which eventually they did, then, you know, it was much more dangerous the next uh, link in the chain. And Mm. essentially that's what happened. They, uh, you know, just managed to throw the ball into a spot in the ground where if they had won that contest, basically they were going to create a scoring uh, chain at, that's so that really stood out to me, and uh, I think it was Dugowie who ended up kicking the goal there. So yeah, it was a great play where it looked like it was all closed down, but just taking those two sort of attacking kicks—not crazy attacking—but just throwing the ball out to where their players could have a chance to, you know, beat your Geelong opponent and uh, get some space. Yeah, and putting into their favour. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, great to see. So yeah, going into the last quarter, I think Geelong were down by roughly 10 points and uh, all to do. How, how are you seeing the game to this point, Johnny, going into this last quarter? Yeah, I think I thought Collingwood had the edge. I think they'd, it had been on their terms most of the game and the pressure that they were bringing was incredible and really stifling Geelong for most of the game. Uh, they weren't allowing the Cats to play their natural game. And they were getting some great chances of their own with some good, uh, you know, good intercepts and you know, running through the corridor. Uh, they've got so much dash off that back line; it's just impossible to stop them sometimes. And uh, they were every chance going into that last quarter, every chance. Yeah, absolutely. The Cats needed a big last quarter, and you could see quite early on in this quarter that Geelong had upped the ante in terms of their willingness to attack, and it didn't work. For a lot of the quarter, what they were trying to do, they just couldn't quite break through. But the other thing that was happening in this last quarter was they seemed to somehow have solidified a little bit behind the ball. So now those Collingwood attacks were being turned over a little bit more easily, getting it out a little bit more quickly. And you could just tell that Geelong had ratcheted up what they were trying to do a little bit and just the attacking mindset was just a little bit more apparent here. Is that how you saw it, Johnny? I think so, yeah. Uh, it really took 
a bit of screw turning to get those chances for Geelong late in the game. But they hung in there to their credit. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a real tough one for Geelong to, to wrestle back. Yeah, absolutely. Every goal was like gold in this last yeah. quarter. And uh, it was actually Jeremy Cameron who was gathering on the half forward line and he was getting tackled, but he was still clean enough to get it out to uh, one of his teammates. And uh, it really set up quite a great, a good play for Geelong here because they had two players back running towards goal and they got the goal there as well. And uh, yeah, just referencing the intensity, it was absolutely through the roof in this last quarter. And uh, just going to one of the final plays, uh, so Geelong won it back at half back. Guthrie got the ball sort of on the edge of the center square and it didn't quite work what he was trying to do, but he managed to hold onto the ball just long enough to get it moving Geelong's way. And then there was a huge contest out on the wing with Cameron again. And just as he was getting his hooking left boot to the ball, sort of getting pushed to ground, he was strong enough in that contest to get the ball forward to a running Gary Rowan who just managed to spill it, but the ball kept going the right way. And as just as he was about to fall over, he handed off to Holmes in the square and rammed home what turned out to be the sealer with about a minute left on the clock. Yeah, fantastic. They'd willed it forward. They got that chance. Jeez, uh, I don't know how Rowan whiffed that knocked over there. <laughs> yeah, no, he was he was onto it straight away. And, yeah, it was a great goal. Um, and, oh, Joel Selwood, he just keeps doing it. <laughs> he, had, he had a fantastic game, I thought. He had 25 touches, I think five clearances. But, yeah, he was so good in those last few minutes, as he's been for so long. Um, yeah, they just... They were just a bit tougher longer, I thought, in the end, the Cats. Yeah, absolutely. That last quarter, everything just went up to another level. The pressure, the intensity, just how valuable each possession was. And Geelong came up trumps, four goals to one, when they absolutely had to make things happen. And, uh, yeah, it all just it all just worked. And I, I think, and I've been hearing this a little bit today, and it was... Uh, like that with a couple of the plays I described, Jeremy Cameron was the absolute key here. That long raking left boot, yeah. the assuredness with the ball, not getting pushed off the ball. Hawkins had a very quiet night and Cameron didn't kick a lot of goals himself, but just what he does for their structure and the ability to get the ball on in a couple of crucial moments was incredibly important here. Yeah, I thought Darcy Moore played a really good game on Hawkins, actually. Uh, yeah, just he really didn't let him get near it. So it was- he was playing from behind, in front. Uh, yeah, no, a fantastic game from Moore. Um, yeah, but Cameron clutch when it counted. I thought Jordan Goey was actually really clutch when it counted as well with those couple of goals. But yeah, there were definitely some match winners out there. It was this game just yeah had everything you wanted really. So what did you see as some of the differences here for Geelong comparing this final that they end up getting over the line in compared to some of their other qualifying finals? What made the difference? Well, it was it was not easy, that's for sure. It was not easy, and there's been, I guess, a couple of games like this that haven't gone their way, but they managed to get it their way, and that was all that mattered. But there was one big difference, really, because uh, this player has kind of coincided with their bad form in these finals. Gary Rowan. Um this one probably the best final he's played for Geelong, I think. Uh so he kicked uh he kicked three, didn't he? And 
was always he putting... kicked the second last goal as well, getting sort That's of right. a bit of a half specky ride, that long was a... kick in from Tui. That was it, and then he doubled it from the pain of fifty. So yeah, that was a huge goal, brilliant kick, brilliant kick, and basically was... to bring it back to even. Yeah. He was up and about as well with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought uh, I thought his game was fantastic. And, uh, so is this enough? Is this enough to redeem Gary Rowan, or does he need a couple more of these performances? I, before I think it's a very good game. I think it's definitely a very good game from Rowan, but yeah, I'd like to see what he can do in the prelim. I think uh, I think that's important. Definitely good to see him perform at this level. Uh, and it was a big time game. It definitely helps, but uh, yeah, look. He's turned in some pretty bad ones in the <laughs> You can't just have one to make up for all the Not really. Thing. But uh, he's, he's very valuable to them with the mix they've got in that forward line. When he can actually have an impact, it just seems to make everyone better, his speed and uh, everything else that he comes with. And he, he's a very good marker his size. Yeah, yeah, he's very good overhead. Very good overhead. Um, I guess what else, really? Uh, I just thought they leaders contribution, I reckon. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Oh, I just thought their leaders stood up a, a little bit more than Collingwood's, yeah. which is a tough feat because Collingwood's been great. But, uh, yeah, I just thought, yeah, as I said, Selwood was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah, Stewart, I thought, was very handy as well. So are they the favourites now in your eyes after this game or just I think they on, are on level? Yeah. I think they are. I just, we looked at Melbourne last year and, it was very hard to see a weakness in that team. It's a little bit different this year for Melbourne. But I look at Geelong at the moment, and it's hard to see a weakness in that side. I mean, you could look in the ruck, and yeah, that's fair enough. But do, do they really need a star ruckman at the moment? Uh, and maybe in seasons to come, it could be an issue. But for this final series, do you reckon they need a bona fide ruckman? Yeah, we talked about this a bit last week. I think they can get by. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're doing enough through the middle. Uh, so I do think they can, you know, basically cover for that ruck position. Yeah. yeah, as long as they're getting enough out of Stanley and you know some of the other ones who pinch it, I, I think that there's every reason that it'll get the job done. Do you reckon it's a more even spread across the field now for Geelong, though? Because they've got quite a number of players that ha- haven't had in this sort of run of, uh, you know, finals. These new guys like Holmes and Close, Deconing, yeah, Atkins. They're just this the sort of next wave. Like they're not guys who you maybe think of as absolute stars. Maybe Deconing can be, but yeah, I think they're making a really big difference. Yeah, I, I do, I do. Uh, and then you look at yeah, uh, up forward. Yeah, they've got yeah, Stengel's been magnificent. Uh, and then there's the experience as well, like Isaac Smith. I think they've just got a really good balance at the moment. Yeah, it does seem just like a more well-rounded team now. Absolutely, So let's, yeah. let's go to the Collingwood side of things just briefly. So what do you think actually cost Collingwood in this game? Why couldn't they quite get over the line? Uh, yeah, that's, that's really, really tough, really tough. Because there's sometimes when you... You give everything you've got, and it just isn't quite enough. And I felt like that's what happened with Collingwood, but they were very good. <laughs> they were really they? good. They were really good, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they could have. Maybe they could have had a little bit more out of uh, 
out of their forwards. I thought uh, Elliot, they've relied on Elliot a lot lately and he was a tiny bit inaccurate and that was a that was a bit of a difference, I thought. Um, yeah, and Mason Cox, another really poor yeah, game. Yeah, he was almost unsighted. Really poor game and, and he has these games. I'm not trying to be harsh, but that's just the way nature of the beast. Uh, Taylor Adams was a huge loss. Huge loss, I thought, mm. late in the game. Uh, yeah, unfortunate to see what happened with his... Uh, He's groin, but uh, yeah, being a man down, that did not help late in the game, I thought. Uh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but maybe that was a contributing factor when Geelong are surging, just to try and go with them, having that one less player there. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously they got the sub, but uh, yeah, not to the level of Taylor Adams, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, but there's still a lot to like about the Pies. I mean, they'll be better for this experience, and... Um, yeah, I, I think I th- they exceeded most people's expectations in this game. Like, I think most they did. people, most people were thinking Geelong would do it relatively easily, and it definitely wasn't that. So, yeah, yeah that's 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 fair. Um, I also think they they may have relied a bit on Nick Dacos as being a breakout kid this year, and uh, there's been very few times when Dacos has had close attention. I think that yeah. Sydney game was one when Ryan Clark went to him, but I think. Uh, his first quarter in this game was magnificent. And then I think it might have been... Um, I think it was Close who was sort of tightening up on him a bit. Mm. And uh, he did actually restrict him to a... I reckon... Uh, uh, well, yeah, not, wasn't too many. I can't remember how many touches. But he definitely slowed it down a bit. And I think Dacos ended up with about 25 for the game after having... About ten in the first quarter. Not yeah, might be yeah. So he slowed down, isn't it? But yeah, I think that that definitely makes a big a big difference. For sure. All right, last one on this game, Johnny. How would you be feeling as a Geelong supporter about a prospective matchup against Melbourne? Obviously, uh, had the prelim last year and it didn't go so well for the Cats. But how would you be feeling? Put yourself in the mind of a Geelong supporter if you can. <laughs> How would you be feeling about that matchup? Potential matchup, obviously. Yeah, I think that they would prefer to play Brisbane. <laughs> um, that's for sure. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I reckon there's a little bit of something in the back of the mind there. I mean, look, they, they proved that they can get us when they got us at uh, GMHBA Stadium about a couple of months ago. But I think in the finals, I think there's a little bit of doubt there. And especially if if you've got guys like Max Gorn lining up, yeah, it's got to be there's got to be something in the back of the mind there. We know sport is a lot about matchups. Just look at the weekend. You know, Melbourne has a not so favourable matchup against Sydney, and they can't quite kick things into gear. So I do think there is something to this idea of matchups in footy and it actually mattering. <laughs> Obviously, it matters who you play, but. You know, you can't play the same way against all teams. And the way a team is matching up on you and, you know, altering uh, how you can actually play, there's a lot to that, more than people might think, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely... It, it really comes to the fore in finals as well. Uh, yeah, because if your matchups aren't 100% on, uh, bang on the money, then, you know, that could be the difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, I look at uh, I mean, going back to the Melbourne game. I, I, I look at something like starting Jackson in the ruck. Maybe that isn't the way to go forward. And you know, if you make that 
one decision that doesn't help, well, yeah, that could definitely play a huge part. Can have a bit of a snowball effect. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a fantastic game, that one. Um, just wondering if uh, I had a, any questions about that. I think, uh, well, we're... Where do you think is fair for Collingwood to finish this season for a pass mark? Um, I think they've already got a pass mark. Yeah. No matter what happens next week. the fa- How far they've come back this year. What did they finish last year? 17th or 16th or something. Um, just the way they've played, the model they've got. Obviously, you would want that to be franked by a finals win. But to me, it's a successful season even if they can't find a way to get over Freo. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that uh, it's not a case of the, uh, winning a final being the bare minimum. I think that they've done well. And, uh, yeah, it gives them a good platform for next year. For sure. Yeah. Obviously, you'd want the win, but uh, especially as a supporter. But uh, and I, I think they will they will beat Freo, although I think so, yeah. we'll talk about them a little bit more. And, yeah, perhaps we did underestimate them a little bit. They're, they are a good team. So that'll be an interesting game. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The last thing I want to say about this game is uh, another classic example of just pressure. Uh, It's the great multiplier in this game at the moment. You can have all the tactics in the world, but I really feel like that's the game changer. Collingwood brought it. Pressure is the currency of today's footy. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And Collingwood brought it early on and it really stifled Geelong. Geelong got it back, I think, a bit later on. And yeah, that's just... I think that's just the name of the game. You bring more pressure, you usually win the game. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'm still unconvinced about Brisbane. You know, they play, they win the game, but they play it in a style that's almost anti-pressure. Well, yeah. Not, that's, maybe that's a little harsh, but almost you know what I mean. Social distancing. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you wonder if they, you know, it's the team that can close down players, I think, the best. And yeah, no, it would be very interesting to see. So we move on to the last game of this weekend, which was on the Saturday night, and it was actually the first elimination final between the Fremantle Dockers and the Western Bulldogs. So, yep, last of the four at Optus Stadium on Saturday night, and the game started with a bang. It was the Dogs who appeared ready, while Freo looked totally frazzled. Uh, the Dogs savaged Freo early on around the ball and controlled the run and spread as well. It was your typical backs-to-the-wall Doggies performance, really. Um, Dockers looked genuinely down and out. They couldn't buy a goal, and it was starting to look embarrassing when uh, Jaya Miss had that shot from point-blank range and couldn't convert. <laughs> it just seemed like one of those nights for Freo. But looking back on it, I don't think that this... I don't feel this came about from a lack of trying on Freo's part. I think the effort was there. It just seemed like Freo were trying to bite off a bit more than they could chew, like trying to land the big punch when maybe what they needed was some short, quick jabs to wear the dogs down. They finally got on the board, thanks to Michael Walters with a set shot late in the second term. Shortly after that, Andrew Brayshaw came bursting through and nailed his shot on the run from outside 50. You know, was something building... An amazing snap from Sarong, then a shot a miss did convert, and they were suddenly back in it. How good was Sarong in that period of play? You just magnificent. went through there. Oh, magnificent. It's I, I think there's only a handful of players in the comp that are capable of that, I reckon. And uh, 
And this all happened in about, what, like three or four minutes? Like, it was pretty crazy towards the end of that quarter. Yeah. Because oh. I was still down by a lot, and then just in a blink of an eye, half the deficit's been wiped. That's it. A couple of goals on the board. It's amazing what that does for confidence. Um, and we've talked about momentum a lot on this show as well, Dan. And one thing I've tried to pay attention to this season is when one team gets on, like, gets on a run, how the other team handles that. So mm, yeah. Frio had clawed back four goals just before the end of the half to go in 15 points down at half time. But it was kind of obvious that what got the dogs to this point wasn't going to get them to the next phase. Especially, Why was that though? Well, it just seemed like they would, you know, they were playing on at every opportunity. They were you know, trying to take the risk. They were, it just seemed like uh, they really kind of, they needed to take a bit of speed off the game, I felt. And it just didn't seem like they were going to do that. It seemed like they were going to stick with the, the tried and true. And so when do you think the momentum sort of changed in this one? Because I didn't actually get to see a lot of this because I was out after the Geelong Collingwood game. But in that first part of the second quarter, there was no scoring. And then, you know, Freeman will come with a flurry at the end. So obviously the dogs dominated the first. But when did the game sort of start to shift, do you reckon? Well, I think that the game started to shift when there was a bit of a seesawing start to the third. So there was a couple of goals both ways. But I think when Walters kicked another, kicked a really good goal in that third quarter, that really seemed to spark up everyone and spark the crowd up. The momentum really seemed to shift to Freo's way at that point, and uh, and the yeah that, that was yeah that was a big part of that quarter. But then in the fourth quarter, the Dogs were still six points ahead, and Joe Miss leveled the scores early on. And I just want to say something really quickly about a miss then. He just seems like one of those no-nonsense forwards. He he leads straight at the ball carrier that and presents well. I, I'm not really mm. sure why I feel the need to point this out, but um, <laughs> it just seems at the moment you get a lot of key forwards that don't do this as much. You, no. you get guys who lead back to the square or the, the Tom Hawkins type that like to win the test of strength. But uh, this guy just, yep, see ball, run at the carrier, and he's got clean hands as well. So it was just, I thought, a bit refreshing to see someone do that. Um. The lead finally changed hands when the Dogs gave away a costly 50-metre penalty and Rory Lobb kicked the goal. He was getting into it after a rough start. A 47-point turnaround. Uh, then Walters capitalised again on a turnover to put them 11 points in front. We were really seeing a vintage Sonny Walters that night. The Dogs weren't going to lay down, though. Rourke Smith took a beautiful mark and goal to bring it back to six points. That so was a grandstand finish. But then Nathan O'Driscoll... Kicked arguably the goal of the match from the boundary line to extend it back out to 12 points. And that was the match-winning blow. A famous comeback victory. And in a final, nonetheless. Yeah, it was a fantastic turnaround. Like, 40-point turnaround plus, as you were saying there. There was one play that really stood out to me when I was watching back some of this on the replay. I think uh, the Dogs were trying to bring it out of their defense. And... uh, I can't remember who the Dogs player was, but they received, I think it might have been Keith, and he got absolutely savaged in a tackle by uh, Jordan Clark, and uh, it was just a massive hit, and the crowd just all rose one, and uh, they uh, got the ball on quickly to lob, and uh, he nailed a really long set shot, and that was just, yeah, dagger through the heart for the Dogs there, I reckon. Yeah, there were some amazing plays just like that, that really, yeah, they were 50-50s, and... Yeah, they just went 
the way the Dockers laid on. And, yeah, it was... Yeah, that's momentum. That's what it comes <laughs> down to. Yeah, exactly. When momentum is on, you win pretty much all those 50-50s, it seems like. Um, so, where was this game won? Well, I'd have to start with the Ruck Den. Uh, Sean Darcy annihilated Tim English, really. 47 hit outs to 20, 15 to advantage, and four clearances wow. as well. Uh, he's going to be very important as Freya's run continues. The backs looked a little shaky at the start, but they found their groove and then some. Uh, Brennan Cox was at his intercepting best. Luke Ryan was nice and composed. Alex Pierce held out Norton to one goal. And I think the story might have been Hayden Young. His rebound was crucial and 28 possessions in his first final. Uh, it's not bad at all. They did. It. They all did a very good job keeping those names of Norton, Hagen, and Darcy quiet. So, so why do you think it took Freo so long to actually settle into this game? Was it just nerves? Was it what the Bulldogs were doing? Was what they were trying just not working? Did did it take them this long to really like get their feet in this game? What was going on? Yeah, I think that just there was just a lot of jitters early on, and they were trying to do too much, and really they just needed to be patient. They needed to uh, trust their backline, get some good. Uh, you know, run and carry, and yeah, just make some chances. Really, uh, and try not to try not to overthink it. I thought they were really sort of they were just caught in two minds so early on. I didn't think the effort was a problem, but they just uh, yeah, they just seemed a little bit at sea early on. And they, when they got it together, uh, they yeah, they were just hitting every target, and they were just making some good chances. And, yeah, yeah, really, I mean, but I guess I have one question as well. What's the main thing to take away from this? Is it the fact that Frio were clearly not ready in that first quarter or and got out of jail in the end, or, or how good their strength of character was to pull off this amazing comeback? I think to be able to do that in a final, yeah, not start great. Well, that's a bit of an understatement. You're down by 40 points, but I think I'm actually – more impressed by this than I would be if they had, uh, you know, been on from the start and found a way to win by 30 points. I think this is really impressive, the fact that they have that strength of character in the group to actually come back in a final when everything is against you and actually just work your back, way back into it, use the pressure, use the skill, use the speed, and uh, just make life hell for the dogs. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards that as well. It was a very impressive comeback. I mean, 42 points, I believe it was at one point. I mean, how? when was the last time you had a, a comeback in a final like that? That's incredible. Long time. Um, <laughs> I do think, though, they want to be weary because they did, in a sense, get out of jail. And You wouldn't want to repeat it. No. And that's the other side of the coin, like, did the dogs really go away from what they were doing? You talked a little bit about how what they had done wasn't going to get it done afterwards, but like, did the dogs change what they were doing or what happened on that side of things? Because obviously it takes two to tango here. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, yeah, it, it's a little it's a little bit tough to, I guess, dissect it, but they, they just didn't seem to handle the revitalized Frio attack. It's a, yeah, it's hard to explain, but I just feel like once Frio got the balance right, once they were sort of, you know, they had the control and they were taking the game on, 
I just I personally felt like the dogs needed to make some kind of adjustment, and they didn't really do it. Um, mm. yeah, yeah, sort of just once the dog has, yeah, once the dockers found their groove, they just didn't lose it, and I, it, yeah, it was always going to be hard without Tom Liberatore as well, like uh, in the middle, yeah, needing a clearance, that kind of thing. It was just a, it was a big loss, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they could have done, but I think that they needed to. Yeah, late in that game, they needed to throw caution in the wind a bit. And so it sounds like the way you're describing it that Freo almost had the momentum for the whole of the second half. Would you say that? Uh yeah, I would definitely say that. I'd say for most of it, uh, the dogs had settled with a goal here and there, but I felt like the game was totally on Fremantle's terms in the second half. Yes, pretty tough one for those doggy supporters to take, especially after. 2021 and yeah yeah just um, scraping into the finals but uh and we talk about we talk about maybe how it's not melbourne's year well yeah it's it's definitely not been the dogs year they've just had yeah tons of things not go right for them the injuries at the wrong time uh and well do they need to tweak their game plan it's an interesting one like you know they get to the grand final in 2021 they win the flag in 2016 Beverages through all of this, and you know he's he's not the most conventional coach. Like no, you're not going to get rid of Beverage, but like I don't know. Like should he be doing better with this group? Like I think most people would say they've underachieved this year. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, they need to fix up a few areas. We know the back line just needs attention desperately. They probably need well. Well, I would have said they might have needed another key forward, but do they have enough stocks there that might see them into the future there? Yeah, maybe they'll have Bruce back next year, I suppose, although he did get dropped. I suppose he hadn't had much form coming into that. But, uh, yeah, I think the back line is the biggest thing. And, you know, they're playing this, you know, midfield-heavy game style. You know, is that ever going to actually win you one? I suppose, you know, they got to do it their own way. But they are playing a style that is a bit different from, you know, what the sort of top four to six teams are really trying to do. They're sort of doing it their own way. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's not really following any conventional blueprints or anything, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that was that game. It was, it was a fantastic one. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately... So if, if Frio are going to put a scare through Collingwood in this game coming up at the MCG... What did you see from them in this game that would actually lead you to believe that they could actually put a scare through Collingwood? What are their assets coming into this final? I think it's this back line. Uh, the, it, yeah, it's just got it's got everything you need, really, and it's got enough to keep you in a game. What I'd like to see a bit more, and it was evident in this game, is a, a bit more of the rebound. They they showed it in this game. I think late in the season, they kind of didn't. They were very conservative and they were happy to play it in their own half a bit. But uh, guys like Hayden Young really helped distribute the ball from that half-back line. Yeah, I think they really... that It goes without saying they need to get something out of Rory Lobb pretty much in every game that they have left this season. But they also need to make sure they create enough chances for their small forwards. Guys like Schultz, Walters, uh, yeah, Fredericks is another good one. I uh, thought he was pretty decent. They just, yeah, they've just got to do. They've got to know what they do well and just go out there and do it. I think. 
Should be an interesting matchup with Collingwood because obviously they both got very good defences and you'd have to say Frio stacks up pretty well through the midfield and if they can get some of that attacking run going uh, in terms of you know using those quick half forwards and just giving a good amount of pressure, it could be actually a really interesting game. Yep, yep, uh, I totally agree. Uh, and... I wonder, so this was actually the next segment we were going to talk about a little bit about next week's games, so we'll start off with Collingwood and Freer, <laughs> we're already into it. Um, I wonder how the effect of, we know how many close wins Freer have had this year, I'm oh, sorry, Freer, Collingwood have had this year, and the confidence that this has built. I wonder what the narrow loss to Geelong, I wonder how that'll impact their mental state now, because, I don't know, I just kind of feel like, when you're winning at papers over the cracks of things and uh, mm. you know not feeling as sore and things like that, but losing one, I just wonder how that would have affected them. Well, yeah, maybe that marries up with some of the stuff that Craig McRae was talking about in his press conference. He was going to lengths to uh, say that you know they weren't losers. Essentially, you know they'd put their best on the table. They're still in it. They did a lot right, and that was the language. He didn't want his players to feel like they were losers. No. Out of the night, even though they had lost the game. Yeah. Maybe that goes to some of that confidence stuff you're talking about. They've built up this reservoir of confidence with all these close wins. So, obviously, you don't want to just let out the air from the balloon with a single loss. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see if that does affect them in any way coming into this game. I wouldn't expect it to, but you no. know, they are a relatively young group in some way. So, maybe there is a bit of a dent there. Maybe. Maybe. We'll definitely find out. But, yeah, as we were saying with Frio, uh, very good road team in 2022. I think they're the second best one with only two losses and a draw. The MCG, they've won a game there this year and they've got their back six to lean on. I I feel like the pressure might be slightly more on Collingwood to win in this one as well. And I think Frio perform their best when the pressure is off them slightly. So (laughs) that's another reason why I would give Frio a chance. But... I do favour Collingwood to get it done, but no gimme by any stretch. No, I think it could be a low-scoring game. So yep, yep, um, yeah, yeah, be tight. No, that's that's that one, and the other semi-final, which is on Friday night, and that is between Melbourne and Brisbane. I think, yeah, I don't know. Most of us Melbourne fans were not thinking or factoring. A semi-final in our heads when we went <laughs> into the Sydney game. We were definitely, I don't know, thinking that last year would just repeat itself. But, uh, yeah, how do you see this one playing out then? I, another thing I'm a bit wary of is another rematch with Brisbane so soon, especially after yeah. the Zorko incident and everything. <laughs> how do you see it playing out? Everything points to Melbourne, like, you can point to really any stat or any record at the ground, any anything. It all comes up Melbourne, which which is not to say that they're going to necessarily win. You know, you have to play the game. But yeah. the record against Brisbane over the last two years, the fact that Melbourne's game style just seems to be like kryptonite for what Brisbane are trying to do, the fact that Brisbane can't win at the MCG, the fact that Brisbane can't, seem to execute when they're put under a lot of pressure. It all just adds up to a typical, you know, 
top four team comes into a semi-final and blitzes and everyone says they're back. That's yeah. what this should be. And if it's not that, then I would really question Melbourne's ability to challenge along, even if they do get over the line. I think they need to be pretty emphatic in this game. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's a week-to-week proposition for the Ds now. They've missed that chance to go straight through the prelim uh, and they've got to do it the hard way. But yeah, like I said before, I think the most healthy thing to do is to treat it like another game of footy and all we can do is focus on getting the win. Uh, for the long, yeah, like, I'm still pretty nervous about it. Like, yeah, no final is easy, and they're gonna have to play. I think better than they have played. So, yeah, by no means a walk in the park, but really, they couldn't have a better matchup. Yeah, I think. I agree. I agree. Um, especially without Oscar McInerney. Uh, but and also I heard things that uh, Daniel McStay, who did a good job, I thought, but. Uh, he might be a little bit banged up after that game last week. I think you gotta be you gotta be cautious though when the opposition's ruckman goes out and you suddenly assume that you're just gonna get a bunch of clearances. I just don't know if that's always the case, especially with a midfield like Brisbane, who yeah, have yeah. their lucky needles. Very good midfield, Jared Lyons, those guys who are probably very good at sharking the opposition's hit outs. <laughs> and yeah, you just gotta yeah, it's not a gimme. Um, you've also got the D's who it seems will be with Christian Petrarca, but a banged up Christian Petrarca. Um, the media all week, I feel, is going to pump up the Zorko feud again, reignite it. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to listen to any football media this week. <laughs> um, it's the, like Honestly, it's a situation I would have liked to avoid, but here we are, and a favour us, but yeah. I agree. We've really got to we've got to make a statement in this game, and yeah, we've done it twice against Brisbane this year. It's not easy to beat a team three times in a season, <laughs> but yeah, I do back them to be able to do it. Do you remember the last time? I don't know this for a fact, but do you remember one of the recent times where a team did beat another team three times in a season? Yeah, uh, it wouldn't be last year, would it? Uh Maybe you you can tell me an example from last year. That's not the one I was thinking of. I was thinking Eagles beating Collingwood three times in 2018. Oh, that's that's a beauty. That's a beauty. Um, well, Melbourne actually beat Geelong three times last year. There you go. That's why. That's why. You're, but you're the stats man, Johnny. <laughs> but that was true. West Coast, uh, yeah, in the season, then the qualifying final in Perth, and then the grand final. Yes, that was a good so one. maybe it's not as rare as I thought it was. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, but I just feel like it takes a very um, disciplined and resilient performance. You can't get ahead of yourself. and uh, yeah. I think the team does that. I think there are positives as well from the Melbourne side of things. They've got another week to you know, work out the kinks of what they're trying to do. It definitely didn't all work against Sydney. Can they do things better? And yes. that's true. Can- that is true. Yeah, this is a good chance to, uh, well, you know, Simon Goodwin talks about learnings a lot. Uh, they would have <laughs> taken a lot out of this game and they would have seen yeah. what didn't work and you'd think they'd be analysing it with a microscope and, yeah. I th- I'd and we get them. to we get to go see another final at the MCG. So That's true. Like, you know, that's true. <laughs> we can't be too down. Got to think positive. Got to think positive. It's been such a long time. <laughs> Since we saw finals footy in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, they might actually win this one. So, yes, exactly. That'd be nice. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it would be nice. And, uh, you know, you go again the next week. 
if that is the case. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of footy time for this week. Thanks for jumping on, Dan. Not a problem. Great fun talking about all these fantastic finals. Yep, and they certainly were fantastic games. And thank you all for tuning in. It was a yeah, it was a belter of a first week of the finals, and hopefully this continues. Uh, good luck to your team if you're still in it, and make sure to tune in next week for our recap of this week and preview of the preliminary finals. Bye for now.